Stretch as close to the fire area as possible in such a way that it does not unnecessarily endanger your crew. But I also think that if there's smoke on the floor, you better have a charge line with you. Even if it appears that the fire is on the floor above, you never know where, where that fire might be. And without water in your hands, you are putting yourself in a, in a world, of, world of possible hurt. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Our topic on this episode is stretching a dry line. Way back in Firefighting 101, they tell you where to do it and where not to. But my guest today says the problem is once firefighters gain some experience, sometimes that training goes out the window. And that can lead to firefighters in a world of trouble. Here to give us a refresher on where to stretch dry and when is Anthony Avillo. He's a retired deputy chief with North Hudson, New Jersey Regional Fire and Rescue. With over three decades in the fire service, He's an instructor at the Monmouth County, New Jersey Fire Academy and an FDIC instructor as well as a member of the FDIC Advisory Board. And Anthony Avillo joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you here. So how often do you see crews with a dry line that really should have a charged one in their hands? Well, you know, actually, from the from the incident commander's point of view, you know, you watch lines go into a building and there's already smoke in the building. You know where I see it a lot, to be honest with you? I'm now, I'm the director of the Monmouth County Fire Academy, and we do a lot of uh, drill ground operations, and I see companies stretching dry lines onto floors with smoke more times than I would like to see. Uh, you know, I, of course, you, you've seen it, you know, out in the field, and, and I can actually probably name two or three times, and, and I'm not going to name, you know, any departments or anything, where dry lines were stretched into buildings, and they didn't get them charged in time, and, and guys were killed. You know, I mean, you know, water is your only protection from the beast. And the rule of thumb I say, I say is stretch as close to the fire area as possible in such a way that it does not unnecessarily endanger your crew. But I also think that, you know what, if there's smoke on the floor, you better have a charge line with you. Even if it appears that the fire is on the floor above, you never know where, where that fire might be. And without water in your hands, you are putting yourself in a, in a world, of, world of possible hurt. Okay, so we know it's tough to wrestle a charge two and a half in the position, but why can't we just wait until we need the water to ask for it? I think you can do that, but your experience and judgment and uh, size up of the scene should be the things that guide you in asking for the water. 
going into a, the first floor of a fire building and all of a sudden the fire is not a basement fire, but it's a basement fire that is spread onto the first floor is, is not good for the crews. Likewise, stretching any line into a, into a below grade area uncharged is unsafe. Two and a half. Yeah. Listen, they're, they're, they're tough to wrestle with, but you know, for the most part, when you're dealing with a two and a half, it's, it's in a larger building, a commercial building. It's, it's usually a much straighter stretch. But again, you know what? If you're stretching into a smoke condition dry, you're, you're stretching into danger. That, that's my opinion. When you see guys doing that, does it seem to you to be more complacency or laziness or bad habit or what? What, what, what drives those decisions? I think it's a combination of all three. Uh, certainly complacency comes into play. Bad training and bad habits. You know, you know what do they say? Good luck reinforces bad habits. Yep. You know, and the other end of it, too, is, you know, stretching in. And and, uh, one of the things I I put in that uh, article uh, that I had written was don't just grab the nozzle. You know, you see people going into a building with a a dry line, but all they have is the nozzle with them. You know, once once they get to a point where they charge the line, then unless they have some people behind them pushing in who are going to have a very tough job, you know, you can't stretch anywhere. You know, so, you know, those are the people that like walk right up to the fire. And I've seen that, too. Walk up to the fire, then ask for the line to be charged. You know, which is, you know, luckily I've seen it in training a lot. But I'm sure it happens out in the field. How long would you count on it taking to get water to the nozzle when you call for it? You know, it never seems like it's fast enough. You hear them saying, you know, charge the line, charge the line. I'm hoping that, uh, listen, the ideal is when they say charge the line, the pump operator says water on the way. That's what I'm hoping. It doesn't always happen that way, but... You know, I would think if you are, you know, sometimes what happens is, is you know, if it's a very short stretch, like you have a, a ranch or something, which in North Hudson, we don't have any ranches. We don't even have any private dwellings up there anymore. <laughs> um, you know, where that first line sort of gets into position, they call them for water, but the guy doesn't even have the rig and pump yet uh, or have the lines broken. Well, that's one place where you're going to have a delay and maybe they should be, you know, standing by at the front door waiting for water. You know, a one-story building with a fire in it, you charge the line at the front door. If they're going upstairs, second floor, third floor, if you're talking about, you know, a multiple dwelling, an apartment building, I am thinking that if a chauffeur is not ready to give water to a line line that's up on the third floor and ready to go, then he is probably taking too much time to do that, doing something wrong. And again, his compete may be complacent too. You know, the, the, the ideal is that, you know, when they call for water, the water comes. That's the idea. What occurs to me is the idea that the radio may break up. The chauffeur might be in the middle of grabbing a ladder off the rig to hand it to someone right when you call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, any number of things could delay the water. Yeah. And I'm thinking that the guys who waited till the last second weren't planning for that. Well, yeah, that's a very good point, too. They probably weren't planning for that. Because when you're on a line and you call for water, you expect the water to come right away. You know, it's just, it's just, I think that's the expectation that most people have. And it don't always happen that way. That's why, you know, you, you should never stretch to an area that's going to have potential danger in it if you don't have water. I think, you know, especially on a, um, on a mul- an upper floor fire, multiple floor fire, you know, stretching dry to the floor below, uh, flaking it out there is, is, is a good move. If it's a, if it's a large floor area on that upper floor, you know, you, depending on the conditions, you might be able to stretch up to the uh, fire floor, flake it out, especially if there's a door in the stairwell, which, you know, in somebody's all the multiple dwellings like we have, there is none. 
So you're almost always best stretching uh, to the floor below and flaking out your, your excess line and then calling for the line to be stretched. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. So let's talk specifics for a second. Okay. Single single family residents force the front door, make entry, and then call for water, or do you call for water, then force the door? Uh, I think you can do both. I think you do both simultaneously as long as you control the door. Get the line stretched. The other thing that could be happening is as the line is being flaked out at the front door, you know, working those couplings and, and getting your line ready to go, they could certainly be forcing the door. But once they force that door, if the line's not ready to go, they got to close it again. You know, not necessarily lock it uh, or close it where it locks, but they have to, you know, control that door. Because leaving that door open without water is not going to be good for anybody. The smaller the building, the more the more nasty the effect will be of, of uh, an uncontrolled flow path. Right. But now I'm thinking about the fact that when you go to close the door, you've got the hose in the door, so it's not going to make a tight seal. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about force the door. Close the door up again. Have it ready. Once that line is charged, and you fo- and you and you open that door, then you chop the door open. You know the only the only time you chop the door open is when a is when a you know like really sort of when a charge line goes through the door. Got it. In a in a one frame a one story building. That that's the way I would see it. You know don't don't uh, don't commit to to creating a a flow path unless you got water ready to go because it's probably going to be a very quick stretch. Right, and that makes sense. All right, now multiple dwelling, if we're not talking about a standpipe, crew heads up, say, three flights of stairs with a dry line, open the door, then heads down the hallway toward the fire. Are they getting themselves into trouble at this point, having a dry line, or can they still wait until they get closer to the fire? Well, well, what I, what I would think is that if the fire is, say, on the fourth floor, bring the line uncharged up to the third floor. Flake it all out, get it charged, and then stretch it up to the fourth floor into the fire area. Again, it will depend on, you know, sometimes you have buildings that have uh, uh, fire doors on uh, down the hall. Like, for instance, uh, if there's uh, an elevator, you might have fire doors. So you may be able to stretch dry right to one side of the fire door, get it charged, then open the fire door, go through the elevator area, open the other fire door, and make you stretch down. Again, it may be a very long floor. So, you know, you have to do a size up and, and figure out the best stairwell to take. But I was, I was never a big fan of taking a dry line up to the fire floor. Other circumstances come into play, like you know the the door to the fire apartment is is not open yet. So there, you may be able to, uh, if you have a large enough landing, bring that line up, get it flaked out, and uh, charge it, and then work your way down the hall. Uh, but once that door to the fire apartment is open, that that whole hallway and the and the landing area becomes, you know, it could become not only untenable, but even if it's not untenable, it's going to be, you know, the visibility is not going to be so good. You know, you, yeah, so you might get away with it. You know, you might get away with it. The idea is if it's the first apartment, as soon as you go off the landing, 
well, it's not a good idea to, to bring the charge line up to the land. Got it. So you say that you've seen them do this uh, in training exercises, and I'm curious. I mean, I'm assuming you stop them and go, whoa, 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 what are you doing? What's the reaction? Yes, we do. Sometimes we stop and sometimes we let them go with it. Just to see what happens? Yeah, well, you know what? The, the fires are, you know, we have control over these fires as instructors. We have safety lines there. And so sometimes we're going to maybe allow them to do that. You know, and the other thing that we do sometimes because we have safety lines is if they bring the line through the door and they don't chop the door, we'll clamp the line. <laughs> And, and when they open the line up and they have no water, because they're supposed to open the line up, you know, kind of well away from the door leading to the fire area, and they have no water, and they start to, you know, freak out about it, then we sort of let, you know, we sort of open the line up. You know, we, we've done it a couple of times. You have to be very careful with that. But, you know, if somebody experiences that once, they never forget it. Well, it definitely hits home when it happens when you're not expecting it. No, no. As a, yes, as a matter of fact, a very good friend of mine was uh, – uh, they had come upon a fire. They were they were returning from a squad run, and they were, had come upon a fire. They uh, called it in as a working fire. They stretched in. They didn't chop the door, and, and the door closed on the line. When they went to have the line mm. charged, the uh, the line charged right up to the door and trapped them on the bedside of the problem. And they wound up having a uh, having to call a call mayday. This this actually didn't happen in North Hudson, but but I know the person that it happened to. And uh, you know, it's just a good lesson of like, you know what. Once the line's charged, chalk those doors. Yeah, it seems like something that, you know, like I said earlier, you learn in the basic firefighter training, but people become complacent and they forget until it hits them in the face. Yeah, also, you know, the excitement. You know what happens to you get a department that doesn't get a lot of fires uh, and you get a job. That's sort of where, you know, people start to forget some of the little things. Yeah, and we've talked about that on this show, the fact that when they don't have a whole lot of real-world fires, training becomes absolutely critical. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you need to go to fire academies. You need that life-burn experience where you can make mistakes and learn from the mistakes in a more controlled environment. The fire ground's not the place to do that. You know, while we're at it, one of the other things I see that I'd always made me a little crazy is when it's a contest to see who gets the first line on the fire. You know, so you get three engines pulling up and all three of them stretch a line and none of them get there. You have a second or third floor fire and none of them get there, you know? In North Hudson, our SOPs call for the first two engines to stretch the first line. And if it's above the third floor, the third engine assists as well. Until the line gets to the fire area, then we can peel some of the third third engine off and maybe have them stretch a second line. But, you know, there's nothing more important than the first line. First line don't get there. All the other lines are meaningless. That's true. All right. Sounds like you have a lot to think about here. I'm glad we were able to talk about it. Anthony Avello, thanks for joining me on Code 3 today. Uh, no problem, man. Certainly my pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much. Be safe. And we put information about stretching a dry line as well as how to get hold of the Chief's books. There are several of them on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash dry. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question, but it's not actually all that trivial this time. According to research cited in a report by the National Volunteer Fire Council, what percentage of firefighters are either overweight or obese? I'll accept an estimate here. 
and I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Now here's your trivia answer. Between 73 and 88% of firefighters are either overweight or obese, according to the NVFC. It's worth thinking about, no? Hey, we got a very nice email from listener Emily, who said, Keep putting out great content. My commutes are no longer boring, thanks to you guys. There it is. That's what we want to hear. Send your comments to scott at code3podcast.com. All right, that's it. That's all for another edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.